lift our hands unto him and magnify the great I am, the everlasting Father. Can we rejoice in his presence tonight? Hallelujah. We praise you, Holy Savior. We praise you. I praise your name tonight, Master. How wonderful you are. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I appreciate the presence of God that I feel in the house tonight. Amen. I know God wants to do something. Otherwise, he wouldn't waste his time and our time coming together if he didn't want to do something. Amen. Now it's upon us if we want to do something as well. Amen. I believe that God, within my heart, I believe that God wants to set someone free tonight. Do I have anybody with some faith in the house of God tonight? I believe God wants to set somebody free tonight. Free. Free. Not partial, not just halfway done. But when my God does something, he does it all the way. All the way. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. If you'll turn to John chapter 8, I have two quick verses of Scripture that I would like to read before I jump into the Word of God. And thank you, Bishop, for this opportunity to come behind the sacred desk and be able to come and deliver the Word that God has placed upon my heart. Amen. I want to read in John chapter 8. Before I do, there's a few things I would like to say. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, if I could lay just a brief foundation before we get into our text. Brother Josh, you can take it off the wall if you don't mind. I'll lay, just say a few comments before we get into the text. We see in this passage of Scripture, if you have it open, you'll understand there's a very familiar passage where Jesus begins to talk to those that brought a woman that was accused and caught within the act of adultery. It's the very first part of John chapter 8. We also see that Jesus declares himself as the light of the world. And he makes the statement among people that hated and despised him. And yet he still declared unto them that he is the light of the world. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of lying. And Jesus responds with a prophecy. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And you will know without a doubt, Jesus then said, I'll let you know. Here's a little tip. They still didn't get it because you can read further on down in John chapter 8 where they're talking to him and it's just an argument the whole way. And they're trying to, uh, uh, trying to trip him up and they're trying to tempt him. And, and then we see that many Jews believed when we got to the very end of this, when we pick it up in verse 32, we'll read here in just a moment. But there were Jews that did believe, even though there was a mixed people of uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. But there were those that heard the voice of Jesus and picked up the message and ran with it. And they believed. And if we could stand for the reading of the Word of God, we'll get into John chapter 8. and We'll read verse 32, and it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Dropping down into verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Amen, amen. If you can lay your Bibles down, I feel that God has laid a message on my heart, and the title of it is Standing in a Sure Place. Standing in a Sure Place. If I could have the help of the Lord and the help of the Truth Church, I want God to reach down and touch us tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master, for this opportunity to come into your house and God, we yield our hearts and our minds. We've given worship and we've testified to how great and good you are. 
And God, we're here to put action behind it. We're here to tune in to the Spirit. What saith the Word of God? And Master, we want you to reach down and touch us tonight. Give us the Word, God, as you have given, Master. Let it reach down and touch hearts and set a soul free. Set hearts free, God, that came in captive tonight. We ask that you do it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise of victory? Amen, amen. You may be seated. There are three things that I want you to know by the end of this message. God makes a way for those that are sincere. The key is sincere. You will not stumble. You will not accidentally make your way into salvation. Just like you're not going to accidentally make your way into heaven based upon I thought and it felt. The other thing is, number two, you can be set free from a burden of sin tonight. I want you to know that from the onset. We're going to end up in Acts chapter 2, but I want you to know there's a journey from this point that you have to make a decision in your heart before we get to the action in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. There's something that you have to do. And there is only one way to be saved. That's number three, and that is through Jesus Christ. So three things I want you to walk away from this message with tonight. Before we get into some of this, I would like to lay a brief foundation, if I may. If you'll turn in your Bible, we're going to spend several verses of Scripture in Psalms chapter 119. And if Brother Weems were here today, he would say Psalms 119. Amen. One of the last verses of Scripture he read before his service was from Psalms 119. Amen. We're going to be reading several verses of Scripture, but I want to talk to us for a moment about the 119th Psalms, 176 verses that have minimal repetition of statements. Theologians have studied this, and they have looked through all of the verses and concluded that there is only possibly a single verse that does not reference the law, the statutes, or the testimony of God. The psalmist, therefore, crafted a beautiful song that exhausted his ability to speak about the rule of life through God's law. You had someone sit down and write in their human ability as God gave them anointing. As we read in Scripture, God impressed upon them, and they began to write Scriptures. And it went to the nth degree, and he wrote 176 verses about the law of God and the testimony of God. That is a committed man. Now, the writer, the author of this psalm, this psalmist, if we could say, is unknown. It could be David, it could be Daniel, spoken of maybe even being Ezra. There is some opinion that it was a young man who may have written these words. But there was a passion for the law of God. It's expressed all throughout 176 verses of Psalms 119. Yet the intimate details show how dependent the writer is on God. You cannot just write on head knowledge, but you have to write upon what's happened in your life for you to have 176 verses of commitment to the law of God, to His promises, to His statutes, and to be able to testify of how good God is. The words show just how desperate, it shows desperation from the writer when he's pleading in one of the verses of Scripture 
to be set free. He's speaking of his humanity. He felt he could not detach himself from the grip of the world. And he writes and pens his raw, true emotions. He writes about it in Psalms 119 and 25. It says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust, and quicken thou me according to thy word. He's talking about when he's speaking of the dust, the things of this earth, or the earthly things that have attracted him and have become attractive in his mind, and it consumed, and it uses the word that he cleaveth unto it. So in desperation, his writing shows how he has voiced his ways before God. And if I could say, speaking as the psalmist, he says, I have shared all that troubles my heart, the problems, the concerns, the anxieties. I have spoken, what I have spoken is me, all of me. The psalmist is saying that I have opened my heart barren unto him. I want the word, the law, and I want to be governed by it. I had a conversation just the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact, with a man who told me, he says, listen, I need you to pray for me. He goes, I am so consumed, I'm so anxious, I'm so wrapped up in something that I cannot control myself. It has me so consumed that I am just distraught every moment I'm awake. Every moment that he's awake, he is in a state of anxiousness and distraught. But in the following verses, we find the writer begins to bear out his feelings for God. Reading on in verse 27, make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Verse 28, my soul melteth with heaviness. Strength, strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Verse 29 says, Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. What's beautiful is, we have a man who wrote words that we can read even today. He was transparent in his interaction, in his affection, in his pursuit after God. So much so that people have memorized these verses of Scripture for generations and generations. And yet, a man in his vulnerability was able to speak from the depths of his heart and say, God, I need you to clean me out. I need this to be empty. I need this, all of me, to be removed so I can be pleasing according to thy law. What I like to look at is he makes a request, but if you read it on the surface, it almost appears like he's making a demand. But it was not a claim to the law as a right, but rather he was confessing his dependency upon the mercy of God. He was saying, I have problems. I have things that I need removed from me. But it's because of thy law that I have freedom. It's because of what God is that I'm able to step out of the shell of a man and be able to say, I can be free. In verse 30, it says, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. He's saying, I have chosen this life. I am complete when I have truth. If you don't have truth today, I promise you today, you are not complete. 
If you only have just obedience unto a few things that you have heard taught, what you have been picked up over the years of being around church, all you have is compliance. All you have is saying, I do this and I do that. But until you have been set fully free, you don't know what freedom really is. Until you know about this gospel message that washes away every sin, that cleanses away all the effects of sin upon your life and starts to heal, as Sister Michaela was talking about, the things that are in your life from the past. You can lay on a couch and talk until you can't say another word to someone sitting there with a scratch pad telling you, what do you think of this picture? What does this represent? Or tell me more about that thought. God doesn't do that. You know what He does? He says, I'll heal you. I will heal you. That's what He does. The people with the pen and paper just take your money and they make you feel better, but the demons you fight when you walk out of their office are still present. You don't have freedom. But God wants to give somebody freedom tonight. Tonight, in verse 32, as the psalmist expresses his commitment to the laws of God, he closes out the composition of the stanza of Daleth, which is the letter D, what we get with a statement of confidence with God would in fact give him the strength to follow God's holy commandments. We see that the scripture shows and reveals that this man was reliant upon something changing within him. He makes this statement in verse 23. It says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Now in our humanity, a heart that is enlarged is bad. It's not a good thing. That's something that is, the doctors will tell you, you need to get this under control. This is going to be detrimental to your health. But we see the psalmist in verse 23 asks for, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Brother Josh, can you put that back up on the wall? Enlarge my heart. Dr. Albert Barnes makes a comment about this. And he makes the analogy of the human heart. It's interesting because we all have one, I think, I believe. Different temperatures have been accusations made against folks. I think Meemaw told Sister Janessa the other day that she had a cold heart. I don't know. Sounds like wisdom. I don't know. We could probably get a confirmation in the house if we took a silent vote or something. I'm not sure, but... There are some people that get accused of having different conditions of their heart instead of the standard 98.8 or whatever it is and the blood that flows through in our body temperature. But we find that he says, listen, there's the human heart. And as it's spoken of in Scripture, you find that the heart is contracted or made narrow by selfishness, pride, vanity, ambitious, ambition, and covetousness. But it is made large, the heart is made large by charity, love, hope, and benevolence. When someone says, oh, they got a big heart, it's describing that they are giving. But I want to, if I could, explain to you a little bit further, no great revelation, but it's more than that. It's more than just your ability to give care to others that others do not possess the ability to do themselves. 
To have a heart that is enlarged means that God gives you the strength when you have maxed out your own human capability. God steps in and gives you more capacity. He says, I know this is all you can do, but let me give you something that you can do with my help. And see, saints of God, friend, you cannot be free without God stepping in. You cannot make yourself free. You cannot do good enough things. You cannot speak kind enough words. You cannot give enough of your money away for you to be considered free. Free only comes through Jesus Christ. But we see in this psalm that the psalmist is not making a commitment with conditions attached. His statement is simply this. I can follow your commandments after you help me. It was not a if-then statement. If you do, then I will do. It was a statement that says, I can't do this on my own. And it takes every one of us not to do it one time when you come down and you repent of your sins and you ask God to forgive you. You have to live in that state of, God, I need your help. The moment you feel like you have ever, everything under control, you're exactly right. You have chaos in your hands. Nothing is in control. But you have to have the help of an almighty God. In the prior passages of Scripture, the psalmist made his case to God that his heart would desire after God. And he makes the statement that he would serve God with all of his heart. There were several verses of Scripture that came to my mind as I began to study this out. And I began to look at them. And in Psalms chapter, when I was reading about it in Psalms chapter 119, but there's a verse of Scripture in Psalms 18 in verse 36. It says, Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. Psalms 31 and verse 8. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy? Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Pastor, you even talked about a place that God would put someone if they listened to your preaching this morning about a place that is large. I already had these notes already formulated. But when you read about this and you think about it, there's places that God is wanting to put your step and place you. And he wants you to be able to walk in some places that currently right now you cannot. But it's upon his strength. It's upon his ability to reach down and to strengthen you and to place you in a large place. Thou hast made me free is what it's meaning or set me at liberty. That's what he's talking about in a large place. I am no longer in this place of constriction. I no longer have every wall compressing against me. And there are people that sit there and pop pill after pill and drink drink after drink just to get out of the tiny room their life has boxed themselves into. And sad to say, there are people that sit on church pews across this world that sit there and cannot wait to get out of a church service so they can go get a drink of alcohol so they can subside the anxiety 
that's consuming them, but yet they're in the house of God that can set them free. I know not every church preaches truth. Not every church preaches this gospel message. But this church does. This church does present the gospel that it's for whosoever will let them come and let them drink freely. There are no conditions upon what you must, must meet or you must be of a certain class or a certain pay grade or must have a certain background. No, it is for everybody who wishes to come. Jesus makes that declaration. But we read in the Psalms that He wants to put us in a large place. He wants to place, enlarge the steps under me that my feet not slip. It's a place of freedom. When God steps in and changes your situation, you begin to feel freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When He comes in, when God steps in, His Spirit steps into every situation that His children may have need of, God steps in, there is an element of liberty. You cannot manufacture this. You have to get God to help you to get there. But there is that verse of Scripture in Psalms chapter 40 and verse 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. That rock is Christ Jesus. That is the answer for all of us. That is the only thing that will pull you out of the mire of sin is by relying on that rock which is Christ Jesus. Jesus. And he says it in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, speaking of the revelation. If you understand what happened a few verses earlier, we find that the, Jesus has this interaction with Peter and begins to ask him questions and begins to ask him, whom do you say that I am? And who do they, men, say that I am? And Jesus addresses the revelation unto Peter and says, and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm here to tell you today that where God places you, the presence of hell can't go there and pull you off of it. Where God puts His hand upon you and pulls you out of the miry clay, when He puts you upon a rock to stay, the devil can't do anything. You have to step off. You have to willingly step out and say, I don't think God can keep me safe anymore. This is my will. But His will is I stay up here in the promises, in the hand of God. That's the problem that we make with mistakes that we make in life. We feel like I can handle it. We take and remove out parts of Scripture that says I can do all things. But you got to finish it. It's because of Him. We cannot do this on our own. And before I move on from this point, there's something that I want to talk about that I believe God laid on my heart specifically in this message. And I want to talk about salvation. I'll get there in just a moment. But there's something that I felt so strongly that I want to talk to, talk to us about just briefly about the salvation of the saints. 
If you'll bear with me in Psalms chapter 18 and verse 36, we already read this. But it says, Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. We stand on the promises of God. There is strength in God's Word. The Bible gives us scriptures that talks about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And we read and apply His Word. But in the last part of verse 36, it says that my feet did not slip. It's not talking about talking about saying I'm walking on ice. When you read it, and I, I, if I'm wrong, I'll correct myself, but when I read this, when he says my feet, he's talking about the ankle joints. And when it says to slip, it's to waver, shake, or slide. And as saints of God, we stand upon the promises that God has given us. But we have to stand in a sure place for us to be able to have confidence in the promises that God has given to each and every one of us. For some, it may be to bring your lost children or family back to truth. You have to be able to stand in a sure place. You have to be able to have confidence in when you take that step, knowing that God has placed you there for a reason and for a purpose. It's not for us to lose salvation over God's timing. We have to trust wherein we stand. But to take steps, there has to be faith. There are times, and I'm not sure if anybody else has had this, but if you've ever been up on a roof and you've had a ladder that's been shorter than the roof line, and you've had to, Brother Jerry, you've had to have a little bit of faith. You've had to peek over, line yourself up, turn around and start to dangle a leg over trying to find that ladder. And you know it's there because you just looked at it. But there takes some faith that when you said, I looked at it, it's right here. You have to reach down with your foot and say, here we go. There are times that when, in order for you to step through a door, that the surface, door, surface floor is a different level than beyond the door. And I've had those instances where I've had to turn around and just drop your feet down, knowing there's something there to catch you. And you have to have confidence where you stand. You know you're not going to hurt yourself. I remember one of the first times I had just been working on this job for just a short period of time, and they'd put in a brand new road. I wasn't as familiar with this road. Little did I know that they did not finish the road. And I was getting off of a piece of machinery backwards, which is how we are supposed to. You have grab handholds and you step off. And you're looking and you're planning and you're looking down. Well, the device, the, the equipment that I was on was moving. And I stepped off and put all my weight on something that I didn't realize that they had not finished the road and it put all of my weight on one foot, and it rolled underneath me as a locomotive's rolling right past my head, and I fall down, and I grab my ankle. I thought I had stepped off in something I knew 
where I was going to go. I had planted my foot. I said, all right, here's the spot. Step off, let my momentum grab me. And it wasn't safe. And it twisted my ankle, swelled up, could hardly walk. But I, in my mind, had made a decision. I think this is what I will do. And we do that so many times in our life. We make decisions that we think we know what's best. But we haven't consulted with our pastor and we haven't consulted with God. And come to an agreement and says, man of God, I believe that this is the step. Will you confirm? Will you help me? Will you walk with me through this decision? No. You see, there's something that constricts the heart. Pride. And it makes the heart smaller. And the next thing you know, you're not standing in a sure place. With the Bible, as I read those scriptures, the Bible gives us witness that time after time, that God would enlarge the place for us to walk. The beauty of it is, it's not just for us to walk, but it also gives you the liberty to worship there as well. Because when God does something great, He expects worship in return. When He does something in your life that you thought there was no hope, He expects worship in return for His great things that He has done. That's why we sing song after song about it. That's why we testify about it. We talk about the great things that God has done. It's because He has given us a sure place to stand. It's not shaky. And I remember back in the 80s, and I don't know how these things, I don't remember the name of it, but it was one of these things where I had like a rubber ball on the bottom of it, another one on top of it, and a plastic platform around the middle of it. And it was a death trap. And you were supposed to jump on this thing and bounce around and try to achieve a feat of counting how many times you could bounce. I guess it was a safer version of the pogo stick. But we do things in life, and we get amused by them. We take chances. But we really don't realize just how deep the water really is. Because we think, well, I'll just be entertained by the risk. The shore is only right there. Reminded, I ran across a picture the other day, reminded of the story. The family was at Antioch Park, and they were walking, and there's a place to where you walk across the water, and there's these concrete pillars that they've sunk down in the water, and you can walk across the piers, and you can go across that way, or you can go the long way around, and they made it to where no handrails, you just walk across. And there was a day the family was there and London was walking and she fell off in the water because she was so confident in her ability to take those steps, she wasn't paying attention. I'm here to tell you tonight, the reason why I bring that story up is because you can't just look at God one time and expect to make it to heaven. You have to be fixed on that path. You have to be dedicated to that path. You can't just play around and say, I'll just pause here and jump from this one to that one. There will be a day you're going to miss. And you'll say, how did this happen? It's because you were confident in your ability. Instead of letting God give you the wisdom, the grace, the strength to broaden your steps, the place for your foot to land, you chose to do it on your own. And you're here tonight and you're stuck. And you're not free.
But God wants to set you free tonight. But saint of God, if I could close out this thought before I move on, don't lose sight of the promises of God. Stand in a sure place. When the preacher says they're coming home, they're coming home. When the preacher says that he will provide, he will provide. When he says there will be a day, there will be a day. Take it to the bank and stand in a sure place. Don't waver. Don't play around. Water the ground around you with tears and let Kleenexes and, and handkerchiefs lay on the ground as you worship God and say, I thank you for what you're going to do. I have faith you're going to bring them home. I have faith you're going to provide. You're going to order my steps in you. But you can't have an ankle that's twisted. You can't have one if you've ever had a sprained ankle. And I've had several of them in my life. And you treat it with tender care. And you're hobbling and you're checking on it and you're taking ginger steps and it's swollen. You're looking at it. It's turned colors and, and you're doing this number to get up and down stairs. This is where you have confidence, not here. You're taking these steps and you're saying, oh, man, my foot, oh, my. But you'll never be effective of helping somebody else when you don't have a sure place to stand. Have you ever tried pulling somebody out of the water when you're in the water as well? Have you tried pulling somebody out of the mud and muck and mire when you're there with them? You can't do it. You can't do it. Just like the story that Brother Ross preached at youth camp, young people. That young person that died the day after camp, that had prayed through the Holy Ghost. I was there, and I heard the story as young people began to call each other on their home phones. And say, listen, you remember the guy we prayed for? He just drowned in the lake. Help was in the water with him, but he wouldn't accept it because he didn't know how to swim. And so the brother that knew how to swim had to push off because he was being drowned by the man that had fallen in water and couldn't swim. You can't help somebody if you're in there with them. You can't do it. You can't make your way out of the quicksand if you're right there with them. But there has to be a sure place to stand. You'll never reach your lost loved ones if you crawl in sin with them. You'll never be able to reach your lost family if you stop going to church so you can be at home with them. You'll never be able to reach out to your spouse that wants nothing to do with God if all you do is hide the Bible you when you're at home and you're only that way at church, you'll never help them meet the Heavenly Father. You have to get on a sure footing. If you're going to help somebody, you don't just walk over there where they're at and expect to lift them up. You know what you do? You find out where is it safe to stand. And you reach back and you say, all right, we're going to do this together. I am confident in where I stand and I will pull you out. If I can't reach you, I'm going to grab a stick or a limb and I'm going to extend that. You know what that is? That's the help of God. Let him bridge sin to the church. Not you happen to go sit there and they invite you to go drinking and go doing all the illicit things and you say, well, I'll just go along and I just won't do what they're doing. You can say that for so long, but eventually you'll be doing what they're doing. 
You can play games with church all you want, but I'm here to tell you, you have to find a sure place to stand. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the church is a safe place to dig in. The church is the right place to dig in. And if I could take it one step further, the church is the only place to dig in and help somebody. Because he digs in and enlarges your heart. When you plant yourself in the church, you're able to reach over and say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You know what that is? That's God enlarging your heart. He's broadening the place where you walk and you can get closer because he's the one who bridges the gap. You don't have to get in sin with them. God is the one who helps. So saints of God, don't be tempted. Don't be dismayed. Don't be disappointed. Don't be the ones that says, well, it happened for them. I guess it won't happen for me. But the reason that I can get down on my knees and pray for lost loved ones of saints in this church is because I've seen them brought back in in testimony time after time. There's a witness of what God will do. There is a sure place that I can stand in and say, one day, Haley Goff will walk back in the back doors of this church. You know why I can say that? Because a man of God stood up and said, she's coming. She's on her way. He didn't lie to me. God didn't lie to me. I took it to the bank. You know why I could put Erica's name down on a prayer list? Because I've seen him bring back backsliders time after time again. I have a sure place that I can stand. Have faith in the ability of God. You are standing in the rock, on the rock, Christ Jesus, in this house, in your walk with God. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith in what God is able to do. There will be a day, they may not tell you, but you'll look up and they're sitting on a church pew. Or they'll call and tell you, say, you won't believe what happened. I went to this city and I went to this church and God reached out and miraculously touched my life and he changed me. They don't have to be here. Home is the kingdom of God. Home is the kingdom of God. Don't lose hope. Stay standing on a sure place. We look at Scripture. We wonder what he's talking about here in John chapter 8 when I read in my text. In the text, we see a conversation between Jesus, the Jews, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and Jesus makes two very clear statements. He emphasizes them on being free from bondage of sin. In John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. That's a guarantee. Here's how I see it, and I believe this is Bible way. If God does it, it's guaranteed. If he says it, it's going to happen. It's not one of those it may. He says, you shall. You shall be free indeed. But I'm here tonight to talk to you a few more moments that if you want to be free from sin, then you have to step into a sure place. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8 and verse 2 says, 
For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, he says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's a promise. That's not bragging. That's not an empty statement. That is a promise. God says if you will come to this altar hungry, He'll fill you. If you come to an altar and pray and repent, God will reach down and give you a sure place to stand. And no longer will you be walking around with footing that you just can't quite make it on. And you're staggering. Here's the danger of not having a sure place. When you don't know where to step and you've lost your balance, you grab onto anything. That's the danger. Because you'll grab onto anything. That means it can be God or it could not be. If you're not leaning on Him, He's the one who steadies you to a sure place. The dangers of this world... I was talking to someone just the other day, and they said, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I have to drink alcohol to get myself through the day. That's not a sure place. I would much rather have peace, love, joy, all of those things that God wants to put into the life of someone who will submit to Him and say, God, I need you to enlarge my heart and put me in a sure place. Can we stand this evening? You may feel that you have to, the way you have to live for God, you may look at us and say it's too restrictive. I can ensure you that Jesus Christ is the only way to be free tonight. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4 and 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus said these words in John chapter 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What you heard tonight was the truth. What you heard tonight being preached across this sacred desk was the truth. Now it's upon you. Do you want to stand in a sure place? Or are you willing to sit there and look there and say, well, it's just not working out. And you wonder and you fret and you don't know which way to go. But when you're in a sure place, there's peace. There's something that steps in and says, be still, my son. Be still, my daughter. I'm right here with you. And then you have that moment when you're in that place that's been enlarged. You say, I'm going to worship Him. He has made a place for me to worship Him. And to stand there and to be in that sure place. Can we lift our hands and talk to Him tonight? Hallelujah. I thank You, Savior. I thank You, Savior. God, you are the way and the bright and shining way. There is no other way but unto you. I thank you, Savior. I thank you, Savior. If you wonder what the apostles said when they were asked, 
What does it take to be saved? In verse 38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent. There's an altar right here to repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There's water right behind that wall. What doth hinder thee? And if you do all of that, it says, Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is a sure place. That is a sure place. My hope is in that place. Can we lift our hands and worship Him? If you would like to find a place to pray, I invite you to kneel at your, play, at your pew or you can come to the altar. God will fill you with the Holy Ghost no matter where you're at. God sees the sincerity of your heart. We'll worship in song, but I want to give everybody an opportunity to find a sure place to stand tonight, a sure place to face tomorrow, a sure place to look at the promises that God has given you. God wants you to be sure-footed in Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah.